Saving money on exterior wall lights. Now at Menards. Find your style with Patriot Lighting. Exterior lights enhance the look of your home. Choose from over 50 options from Patriot Lighting. Now through May 19th, get $10 instant savings on a single qualifying purchase of $100 or more on in-stock outdoor wall lights. Check out our entire selection of outdoor lights and see the rest of our deals happening now on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. Hey everyone, welcome to Staying Connected. Today I have Shannon on the line. Shannon was diagnosed with vascular Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome and classical Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, and we're going to talk to her about her story. Hey, Shannon. Hello. Hey. So uh, we were talking a little while ago, and you were telling me about nine years ago, you really started having um, some pretty severe problems before you were diagnosed. Could you tell me that story? Sure. Um, yeah, so about nine years ago, I was riding a bike and just had severe pain in my stomach. And from that moment on, I stopped having bowel movements. Never had an issue before. um, And just in this one incident of not doing anything crazy, just had a severe pain. And from that moment, just kind of everything shifted and changed. Um, From that moment, it kind of led the journey of the diagnosis of vascular Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. Uh, I think Anybody who's kind of in this position with EDS, you know, we have symptoms and things that are beforehand, but it almost takes some sort of massive incident or a massive medical injury for us to really get the uh, almost attraction to the disease for doctors to notice anything else specific wrong. Otherwise, it just looks like little symptoms. So about, you know, so nine years ago, I had this pain um, and stopped having bowel movements and it kind of sent me into you know, urgent cares and and different doctors just trying to find a reason or a fix for not having bowel movements. Um, I think I ended up seeing about six or seven different doctors. Uh, I would go to the urgent care, they would do x-rays and say, you know, well, why don't you switch up your diet or take magnesium citrate? And I would drink two or three bottles of magnesium citrate and have zero anything. I would bloat up to the size of like an eight month pregnant person, but I still was not having any movement. There was just nothing happening. Yeah. And I had seen a gastrologist and, you know, when you're at this point, um, 22. So when you're all of a sudden coming in there, you know, saying I'm have massive inflammation, nothing's working. I'm taking laxatives. My, my diet is perfect. You know, I'm trying everything. They just, it's hard for, I think, a doctor to grasp that anything more serious is wrong with you at that age. Mm-hmm. So everyone just kept saying, you know, well, maybe you don't have enough fiber. Maybe you don't have this. I think it's just IBS. Are you a high stress person? What's your activities like? You know, they just couldn't even get past any of that. Um, I remember sitting in there and being like, well, I have all of this pressure in my tailbone. Don't you think you need to do like a, a rectal exam or certain imaging. And he was like, no, there's no reason to, you're 22, you know, let's put you on IBS medication. And you just want to shake him and be like, I've never once had an issue like (laughs) ever. And then just this one moment, everything changes and they just keep looking at you like, no, it's just in your head. And you get so frustrated that you just keep trying. And so you go to a different doctor and they tell you the same thing. And, you know, they're easy fix for you is just put you on medication, but yet there was no medication that was making any sort of difference. Um, I just remember feeling 
pressure and pain in my tailbone, but it was like my brain had just shut off and it just wasn't telling anything to move. Uh, Within the same year, so about seven months later, um, at this point, the only way to have any sort of evacuation is I was either having to go um, and do enemas on top of the magnesium citrate, or you'd actually have to go and have everything evacuated for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but my sister, uh, within the same year, was diagnosed with the rectocele and an intersusception. Um, she was also had thyroid cancer, which kind of led to all of these other tests coming up. Um, and so when I heard that, I said, well, what tests did they do to look at your intestines? And she had told me about a, a defography. It's one of those hard ones to pronounce. <laughs> um, so once I learned this, I essentially kind of just took charge and started doing my own research, you know, of, of other issues of why people could be having, you know, bowel movements. And I went into the doctor and demanded that I have this test done. Um, what kind of test a, was that? It's a default. Uh, again, I'm, I'm a little <laughs> weird on how to pronounce it. I've heard defography or defography because you're defecating while you're in an MRI. It's oh, most okay unpleasant MRI ever. You're, you're literally crapping yourself while you're in this machine. It's just, it's just a wonderful feeling. Yeah, it sounds miserable. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, so I, I get in this machine about a week later and normally the images take 30 minutes. Um, Mm -hmm. and I, nothing, they, they inject you with KY jelly and you have to literally evacuate it yourself in an MRI machine. And the lady had to just keep going back and putting in more and more and more. And there was zero movement. Mm-hmm. Um, so I ended up being in this machine for three and a half hours. And, you know, so when you kind of have a timeline, you know, something's not going right when they tell you it's going to take one amount of time and it just doesn't go as planned. So I, I just had that feeling something was wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and she said, you know, your doctor will call you in the next few days and let you know. And I just remember driving home and I got the call immediately from my doctor um, about 15, 20 minutes into the drive. And he said, you know what? I'm sorry. There's nothing I can help you with. You need to go see a colon rectal surgeon. Um, my rectum was herniated. The whole entire pelvic floor was prolapsed. My bladder was herniated. Essentially, like all the organs and the pelvic area were all herniated and prolapsed. And so they call them rectocil, cystocil, intracils. It's just essentially the organ tissue has just moved and shifted and changed and it's hanging over. Um, so the same doctor that just kept telling me I was full of crap and, you know, I was too young to have anything wrong, just passed you off and was, Oh yeah. Okay. You were right. And so you're kind of just left with this information of, all right. Okay. So here I am sick and there's something wrong and you almost feel justified at the same time. And I think when you have EDS, and at that time I didn't have EDS, but when you're searching for something for so long, there's a joy that, a kind of a sick joy that comes with at least being able to say like, oh my gosh, okay, I wasn't crazy. There is something wrong with me. Okay, now let's figure it out. Um, And so you kind of go through these emotions of you're mad and you're pissed off and you're scared, but at the same time, like you're relieved at least now there's something that can be fixed to get you better. And so I, man, it, it started a a massive search at that point. I saw five different, um, colon and rectal surgeons and they would tell me, Oh, I can only do one part of the surgery. You need to go see a urologist. And then I would see three or four different urologists who would say, Oh, you know, I can't help you. I can only do this part of it. 
you know, you need to see a year old gynecologist. And it was almost like everybody just didn't know what to do with that many issues that, mm-hmm. you know, they all kind of were shocked and, you know, it's, they literally had like the same kind of thing that they would say is you just, your insides are messed up. Like you have had this insane trauma to your insides, whether it's birthing numerous times, I heard 50 children vaginally, um, or, you know, you had this massive collision in your intestine tract, like just all these things, but nobody was telling me why. Um, and I finally met a, a urogynecologist who said, you know what, there's no movement in the colon. Let's fix the rectocele, intracele, and cystocele by doing mesh and things and see if that does anything. Mm-hmm. So at this point, uh, in 2011, I did um, a repair where they went in and they do mesh and slings. Um, and two weeks after, I still had zero movement. So you go through this big surgery and nothing. Um, mm-hmm. And then they started experimenting with putting implants in like uh, interstem implants. So at the time, interstem implants, they're very similar to like pacemakers. They send neurological transmitters to your organs and our intestines. Okay, um, yeah, they have done them before. It was very new at that time, but they had been using it on bladders. So overactive bladders or underactive bladders, they send literally signals. There's wires in a battery inside of your body and it mm-hmm. sends signals to the organs to get your brain to refire for them. But so I was one of the first people that they ever did it on a colon. Okay. Um, yeah. And so I was like, yeah, I'll try whatever. At this point, I, I was doing enemas every single day just because I was getting infections and bacteria infections inside the intestines. So then you're sick all the time and then your body can't fight off anything else because it's just your white counts all over the place because it, you, you essentially just have bowels sitting in there all the time that can't move. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we tried the interstim implant and I remember... Within a few days, I had one bowel movement, and it was just the largest relief. I was like, okay, I'm getting better. I can poop now. You know, like you just forget those little things that make life so wonderful that you just, you would never even think like, oh, man, if only I could take crap today. Like you just, you wouldn't go there. But so, you know, here I am. Yeah, and it was just this joyous moment. Um so you do like a trial period, you have it for two weeks. And then if it works, you put the permanent one in. So then I went back in surgery again, um, and did that. And within the same week, like my ankle had dislocated. And, you know, when sometimes when we dislocate, our tendons are more flexible than our, you know, our bones are strong. And so I literally had rolled my ankle and just pulled like three pieces of bone off whenever the tendon stretched. And so then I was in surgery two weeks later for repairing that. Oh and then I did the, the same thing with my kneecap. It wasn't moving right. And so that I did surgery on my knee and then there was zero bowel movement. So I had had the one bowel movement and then you go through surgery, do the permanent one. And then that was it. So, you know, it's, I think anybody with any sort of connective tissue disease, it's the hardest part is, yeah, your body hurts all the time and you're exhausted and you have all of these pains that are just kind of throughout your system 24 seven. But one of the other biggest things is anxiety and stress because mm-hmm. you are on this emotional roller coaster. You're happy because you think something's working. And then you have this huge disappointment as 
well, I just went through months of pain and nothing. I'm right back to where I was. But yet I had these diagnoses. Everything was, you know, I had my rectum was pushing out of other areas that it shouldn't be, you know, so you think you fix the problem, but it's still not working. Um, and so, you know, here I, this is again, 2011 at this point I had had seven or six surgeries, seven surgeries back to back one every two weeks. Wow. Um, and so you're just exhausted, but still nobody had ever thought why. Okay. So why does her insides look like this? We just were so busy trying to figure out how to fix it. Mm-hmm. Um, so then I started going to colon and rectal surgeons, um, who I found an amazing one, John Mangione. Um, he's done numerous surgeries for me, but he's been one of the biggest helpers in it, you know, and that no doctor except for a few specialists actually know a lot about EDS or vascular EDS. So mm-hmm. and they don't even really think to to look at it. It's not even a word in them. So I had gone to him, um, and we had done, so within six months, even though everything was held up by mesh and slings, uh, all the organs had re-herniated again. So we did another surgery fixing them. And I thought, well, maybe if I have a different surgeon, it's going to hold up more. No, seven months later from that, I was back in the ER, um, again. And cause I had blood, protruding out of, you know, my ends, um, because Mm -hmm. the rectum had torn from some of the mesh. But at the same time, I realized that everything was re-herniated again. So at this point, it's my third time within two years. Yeah. You, you just, you get, you just feel defeated Mm -hmm. in every way. Um, and here I was, you know, I'm a personal trainer. I'm a nutritionist. I own a gym. I'm sitting here thinking like, I am as healthy as I can be when it comes to food, exercise, I'm supporting my body. And when you feel like you're doing everything right, but yet nothing is right, you just, I mean, you're, the emotional exhaustion is just, it's heart wrenching. And then you're trying to be present for your job and for everybody else. And it's hard. It's a, it's a big toll to take on, but you, you have to keep fighting and keep walking. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, that I think we ended up doing four, uh, rectocele, cystocele and intracel repairs by the time that they realized then that the colon had just completely died. Um, and it just needed to be removed. So I did another surgery and they, you know, took out the entire colon. Um, and you know, I, you're just praying for something to work. You know, you're losing an organ. You're kind of doing like what you think is the the biggest step that you can take in order to do something. And I think I was in the hospital for about 10 days afterwards. Um, and I had a bowel movement and I just remember crying in the bathroom and my mom's crying with me. And I was like, it worked. It worked. <laughs> I think for three years, this is three years of massive inflammation every night, zero bowel movements. <sighs> tens of surgeries later, you just, you barely have anything left to keep fighting at that point because you just, you feel like nothing's helping. Like, okay, what am I fighting for? I'm just going to be sick all the time. Um, and I had a bowel movement and I did, it, it worked for a good two months. I mean, I was in and out of the hospital for blockages and infections. And then the scar tissue closed up on the, the small intestines. And so then I was back in where, you know, you can't eat for like two weeks. I mean, it's just, 
as part of having EDS, we just were like the virus and infection king and queens. We just take them all in and, <laughs> you know, they just like marinate in us and create a new one. I had like shingles all over my chest. I mean, it was just, it was a disaster, but, but I was happy. Yeah. I was happy because it worked. I was going yeah. um, and then it stopped. It stopped again. Uh, and about two months later, you said about two months later. Yeah. And so then you just kind of go through another depression. Um, at the same time, my eyes, when I was younger, uh, my eyesight would change like once every month and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't really know anything different. The doctor thought, well, maybe I just hadn't been in glasses enough or contacts enough. So my eyes were still adjusting to them because I was young. Uh, and at this point, my vision started changing about every week and a half. And so I was just literally in the doctor having to get new script after new script literally every week. Wow. My eye, like the actual structure of the eye was changing. So one week I would have like this massive stigmatism. The next week I wouldn't. Um, and then they were drying out. Every time I would take a contact out, it was ripping the cornea off. You know, so I had blood in my eyes. I couldn't see. I had like lubricant in my eyeballs. And then here I am like not crapping, you know, you're swollen and all your joints are, I'm, I kept falling. And I thought maybe my body was just so weak because my limbs were dislocating. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you're just, you're overwhelmed with the amount that's going wrong in your body. And so I think in my mind, I was just so exhausted and focused on everything wrong. I still had not thought why. Yeah. I just thought like, man, I hit the shitty karma jackpot here and everything wrong is going to go wrong at one time. I literally just thought like in a past life I had killed somebody or something. (laughs) You know, you just, you think that for some reason you're going through this crazy thing, but I just, I never would have thought that my eyes were connected to my intestines and my intestines were connected to my joints and everything felt wrong in every area. And you just, unless you know to look at all of them as one, you don't necessarily look at them as one. And so I, um, at this point I had had jaw surgery. Um, every, my teeth kept getting infected. I remember my dentist telling me like, uh, cause I had these little spots on my teeth that hurt mm-hmm. and he was saying, Oh, well your teeth are actually bending when what? you chew. And I was like, um, is that, is that like a normal thing for people? And he was like, no, he's like, <laughs> Because think about it like a, like a scale on a snake or a fish. When their skin bends, sometimes they lose those scales and your teeth are flaking off their enamel and part of the teeth. And so you have, I have like speckles of holes oh all God. throughout my teeth. And you're looking at them like, you are crazy. Like that's not even possible. But it just, you know, it's one of those things. Um, and I got pregnant with my son. Uh, I think within the same year and I broke out in shingles everywhere and I kept having just blood in my urine and um, in my stool. And, you know, when you have had already, I can't remember if at this point it was like 13 or 14 surgeries um, in your intestine area, the, you know, a gynecologist automatically like puts like a red flag to your name. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I started to have the blood, my blood pressure was all over the place. She sent me to the perinatal specialist. And, you know, when you go to them, you have to send everything. You have to send all the images you've ever had done on that area, all the blood work. And he's just looking at me like, okay, wait, 
how old are you again? <laughs> like, what? What all have you had done? Yeah, how um, old were I, you at that time? Um, my son is almost four and a half years old. Uh, I'm um, 32 almost. Uh, so I was probably 27. Okay. Um, <clears throat> 26 and a half, 27. Yeah. And um, so he's looking at me like, why hasn't anybody asked why? And it was just like this huge light bulb went off. And I was like, yeah, I don't, you know what? I don't even know. I haven't even asked why. <laughs> I was like, like, I just thought that it just, you know, I didn't have anybody on my side looking out for me. Like I, I just was so exhausted and overwhelmed by what was happening. I didn't even think just like all these doctors. I mean, at this point, I've probably seen 15, 16 doctors and nobody asked why. Yeah. Like it just wasn't even a thing. And um, he was like, hold on. So we did ultrasounds and we realized that I was like leaking amniotic fluid and then my rectum had tears all throughout it. And he's like, let me look at your eyes and gets all up in my eyes. I'm like, dude, this guy is crazy. Like, why is he staring at my eyes? Like my baby is in my tummy. Like, why are you looking at my face? (laughs) And then he's like, move your, move your thumb this way. Can your, cause your thumb touch your, your forearm. I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm just flexible. I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. And then he's like, move your pinky this way. Does it pass the 90 degree mark? And I was like, yes, my joints are a little strange. And he's pulled the skin on your neck. Hold on. Let me see your knees. Let me see your elbows. Do they dislocate when you do this? I'm like, well, I fall all the time. I was like, you know, it's crazy because we dislocate, but I, I like pop out and I pop right back in. So in my mind, I wasn't necessarily considering it a dislocation at the time. I was like, yeah, they just kind of give out and they make some loud noise, but I can get them back in fine. Like it's just, it's the weirdest thing how your brain just kind of tries to cope. And so it creates all these excuses. Mm-hmm. And he's like, um, no, I'm going to clinically diagnose you that you have Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. And I'm like, what, like, what is that? What is that? I have never <laughs> even heard of that term. And he's like, EDS. He's like, research it. He's like, I'm 99% sure that you have this disease. And I was like, okay. You know, you instantly kind of get a little bit worried, but at the same time, I knew nothing about it. So I wasn't necessarily stressed because I didn't know what that meant. Um, And he's like, I'm going to send you to a genetic counselor. You know, you need to get up your entire family history of everything. We want to be able to look at anybody and everybody. So, you know, you go back in in a few weeks and you have your entire genetic makeup of every single person in your family and all the diseases and then, um, you know, I saw her. She's like, yep, I'm pretty sure that you've got some stuff going on. And I, we had zero family members that had Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. But again, it's such a rare thing, even if they did, which somebody had to. But um, you, nobody would have thought to look at them. Like, we had a lot of Hashimoto's. We had a lot of thyroid issues with that, obviously, associated um, mm-hmm. Crohn's disease, colitis, gastritis, um, a lot of like rare infections. Uh, we had rheumatoid arthritis, MS in my family, but nothing that was like Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, you know? And so then I went to a geneticist, uh, Dr. Emkin in Austin, Texas, and she, um, clinically diagnosed me with vascular Ehlers-Danlos syndrome and classical. She was on the fence of, but given how many internal issues I had, she was fairly certain it was vascular. Um, but I wasn't ready to get that hundred percent no yet. I wanted to do a little bit more research and mm-hmm. I gave birth to my son. I enjoyed him as best as I could. And then about a month and a half later, I went back to her and we did biopsies of the skin and blood work. Um, and that's when we read 
or found out um, about a month and a half after, you know, once they get everything ready, then you go back in and that I was diagnosed with vascular Ehlers-Danlos syndrome and classical. Based on the um, genetics? Based on the genetics and then the, um, the, they do a skin biopsy. So they measure your collagen and that's really kind of what helps also diagnose the vascular. Okay. Um, so it, it was a painful moment. I'm not going to lie. I mean, you hear anything that where your life expectancy goes down to a tremendous amount. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're just, you, you just don't want to accept it. I mean, at this point, you've been fighting for so long that you just don't even, like, you think you can't take any more. You're just already in so much pain. And then they hit you with that. And again, it's kind of, I went through that same, like, you know, like, yay, there's a diagnosis. I finally know now why. But at mm-hmm. the same time, it was like, can I not know that? Can, can we tell, you know, tell me something different. At least tell me it's something that I can cure. Like, yeah. I just remember thinking those sick thoughts, like I'd rather have cancer. Just tell me I have cancer so that way I can do chemo and then we can surgically remove it. Like, don't tell me something that I have that there's nothing I can do about. Yeah, I remember that feeling. You're just stuck. Yeah. I had the same thing about cancer. I'm like, well, at least if I had cancer, you know, there'd be something I could try. Yeah. Experimental things Mm -hmm. um, or, you know, you... I think there's a different, there's a fight with a hope. And I'm not saying vascular EDS, you can't find hope because I've found hope now, mm-hmm. but I haven't found hope in a cure. And I don't think that's being negative. I think that's being realistic, but I think you find peace in that at the same yeah. time. But it's taken me a long time to get there where I just went in like this depression. I was just so angry that she told me that, you know, like I just didn't want to know. Here I have birthed this beautiful baby boy. I had two girls. Um, two daughters that I birthed before. I was in this amazing relationship. I had just opened up my own business. You know, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm doing the things that I am planning for my family now so that I can appreciate in 10, 20 years. And then when somebody tells you that you might not be there for that, you go into this, you know, this depression, this deep hole. I think I came home and I didn't speak for like two days. Yeah. And I just kind of sat there in silence and then I just cried and I cried and I cried. And I remember for months just going in this depression of like, this can't be real. And you get angry and mad. And um, I grew up with a religious family and my grandmother is a traveling minister. And I just remember telling me like, you just got to get angry at God. And then you got to demand that he fixes you. You're one of his favorites. You know, that's why you're not cured is you're not angry enough at God that that you don't deserve this. And I just wanted to shake her and be like, hey, you're not helping. Like, I'm just getting more upset, you know, like, I love you. I'm proud of our religious background, but it's not, I I need to find peace. I need to find acceptance. And I don't think that we're meant to be on this planet to sit here and question why we're given things mm-hmm. um, and, and why we're given these paths because you know, me having EDS, vascular EDS, classical EDS, I could help somebody else just by me having it alone. If I meet somebody who's got any signs, they can be like, you know what, you might want to get this checked out. Mm -hmm. And I could save that person's life later on, or I can make a difference for them or show other children that, you know, you don't have to be alone in something or be lost. Like 
we're not meant to understand what lessons we can help the world know. We're just meant to live with it and try to find the best path that we can with it. And so, yeah, I, I had my massive deep dirt moment. I didn't want to get out. I was short fused with everybody. And then I was like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm literally letting it kill me emotionally, mentally, physically. It was draining me more before it even actually has taken my life. And so you have to get up and keep going. And I, and I did. Um, but it doesn't mean that, you know, every doctor's appointment, I swear I learned something new that's wrong. Some big issue, you know, some new autoimmune disease, some new infection, um, some new problem, you know, and I kind of have like a process. I hear it. I have little moments where I allow myself to feel it. And then I get sad and I normally cry and I get angry and frustrated. And then I go to bed. And the next day I'm like, okay, I need to call this surgeon. I need to do this test. I need to go get this medication, you know, and then you have to keep fighting and you do, you have to find acceptance of, okay, this is it. But you also have to be humane and not allow yourself to lose that emotional balance and say like, okay, yeah, this does, this sucks. This is crap. You know, I, I am allowed to be pissed and angry and in turn, I'm releasing also those emotions and I got to keep going. And it doesn't mean that there's some things that take a little bit longer than a day to, to cope and comprehend. And yeah. there's not a moment that goes by where I don't wish things were different. Um, but I'm still working every single day on just trying to find that peace and acceptance. And, you know, that was years ago when I, I got that diagnosis. And since then I've had a gazillion other surgeries. Um, I'm this year, my, my eyesight's going blind. So I have to have, um, surgery on my eyes. Um, I still am not having bowel movements without massive medication um, and enemas and things like that. And, you know, I've had now seven rectocele, cystocele, and intracele repairs. My organs are sent into my spine. I've lost a few other organs. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now we're, I need to do the ostomy bag this year. And, you know, that'll be its own battle of just trying to readjust, especially, um, you know, there's a thousand other concerns with that. Um, my knee and foot need surgery on it just from, I dislocated while I was sleeping and I broke, um, I tore a few tendons and broke a few bones. Mm-hmm. Just, it didn't go back in place the right way. And it just kind of messed some things up the first step I took, you know, little things that shouldn't actually happen, but that do. And so, you know, you kind of find that, all right, well, let's fight and keep going. Um, you know, and so that's kind of put me where I am now. So I'm, I'm 32 surgeries deep. Um, and you know, I'll do however many more I need to, in order to, to keep being alive for my children as long as I can. And you just, you try to make the best of, of every moment you have. Um, yeah, it's a long story, but that's, uh, it's kind of the main journey of how I was diagnosed and, um, kind of what's gotten me to the point that I am now. Yeah, that's incredible. But how many surgeries is that total? Uh, it's 32 surgeries. I, I just had my 32nd four weeks ago on Friday. And how so old are you now? I turned 32 here in about three weeks. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. Like just the yeah. amount that you keep pushing is is incredible. Yeah, I'll be 32 with 32 surgeries. I just actually realized that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, but it's... 
it's something to celebrate at the same time. You know, my, mm-hmm. I remember my daughter, she had fallen and lacerated her chin and she had this big scar and she was crying. She didn't want any of her friends to see her. And I just looked at her mm-hmm. and I said, listen, I was like, have you seen mommy's stomach? I was like, I've got scars everywhere. Mm-hmm. And I said, but you know what? Every single one of them tells a story and not necessarily a sad story. It also tells a story of something I've gone through, some pain, some incident, but moments where I didn't know if I could take anymore, but I did. Mm-hmm. And I kept fighting. And so every single time we have something wrong and we surpass it, yeah, there's going to be something else waiting behind the other door, but we're still moving forward. So every scar I have, I am. I'm proud of it. It's, it was a struggle. It was a hard moment, but I made it through. It doesn't necessarily mean today's better, but it means that it has more positive things in areas. Yeah, other areas could suck and feel worse, but I'm still fighting to make improvements. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, where we, we have to find hope is that, okay, yeah, tomorrow might be a harder day in certain areas, but we have to keep moving to find better moments, not necessarily better days, because we might not get that. You know, I, I think as Ehlers-Danlos syndrome people, it's like we can be fantastic and amazing for 30 minutes. And then the next 30 minutes, all of a sudden we're busy and our brains aren't thinking or our knees are aching and we need to sit down. We can't stand any longer. Like it's never one straight uphill throughout the day. We, <laughs> we get good moments. Yeah. But those moments we have to find appreciation and the best that we can because those are all we have. We have those moments and those moments still hold the same value as if we were a normal body who got a whole day. Mm-hmm. You know, we look at them different. Yeah, absolutely. So you're, you have three, three kids. Three kids. And I did get remarried, so I also have two stepkids. So I, I have five total, but three that I had C-sections with, three that I legally, you know, <laughs> they have my blood. Yeah. yeah. So have any of them been tested? So I am in the process now. Um, you know, my, unfortunately, some of my kids have signs of it. Um, mm-hmm. And I think part of it has been my fault why they haven't gotten tested. I think, you know, you're still trying to find peace of just yourself having it. And so the thought of one of your kids having it, you selfishly just almost don't have enough energy to, to know that they do the amount of stress and perseverance that you have to kind of find within yourself to keep moving forward. It's hard. Um, and so I've, you know, had to do some kind of emotional work to, to get myself at a place where I'm ready to be like, okay, you know, sit them down and say, there's a chance you might have this. We need to get you tested because they see me sick every single day and they know, um, and they already struggle with that enough. But so um, we have now set up the appointments to do the test and and have sat them down and and said, you know, this is something that you have a possibility of having. Um, You know, it doesn't mean you do have it. And just because I have vascular, it doesn't mean that they have to have vascular. You know, vascular is just rare on top of rare when it comes to to EDS or any connective tissue disease, any disease in general. Mm -hmm. Um, And so... Even if, you know, I try to stress them, even if you have EDS, it doesn't necessarily mean you have the one that mommy has, you know, and, and try to do that. And um, they've been really good. And I think part of it is I've always kept my sickness medical for them. Um, they see me scared. They see me have these emotional things, but they've come to every pre-op. They meet every surgeon. Wow. I've always been like, okay, this part of mommy doesn't work. You know, they're going to cut here. I'm going to have stitches here. We're going to remove this. But then 
we hopefully, you know, that it works. And that's all they've known. I mean, I started getting sick. My oldest uh, is 11. Uh, my second is 10. Mm-hmm. And then the other one is four and a half. And so they haven't really known me not sick, you know, when they were young enough, they saw mommy get sick every day. I'm either puking or I'm swollen. I've had people stop me and ask me how far along I am with pregnancy, just if I'm out about, you know, so they, they haven't seen anything different. Um, I know that they're scared and worried at the same time, but they've seen me fight. And so they know that it doesn't mean that they can't have a family or a life or a business and be successful. It's just one extra thing that allows them to grow in strength. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's what I try to push to them. But I also am not an an idiot that it's terrifying and, and scary thing. And by no means do I have any part of me that wants them to be able to relate to me in any way. I, I want them to not have it so desperately. Yeah. Um, but if they do, that's okay. You know, we'll figure it out. My kids are amazingly strong. They've seen me. They're looking at me to find that strength. And I know that they can still have a life that they want. It might be impacted different, but it doesn't mean they can't be themselves or become who they want to be. And so that would kind of be my my hope for them. Um, but I think as a parent, it'll help us tremendously to know if they do. Mm-hmm. Um, even though you can't change having vascular EDS, you can't change having EDS. There's nothing you can do for it. You manage the pain, but at least like I got one kid that's gymnastics queen, obviously we're super flexible. So it kind of goes with the, the territory, but yeah, there are certain things I would avoid having them do just because we're injury prone. Um, mm-hmm. so if they're, is this issue where I know even though she can do something, it might not mean it's best for her body, for her future. One daughter is very into dance again, cause she's incredibly flexible. Um, but you know, we might shift to a different style of dance or, you know, try to push them to a different type of sport or something that's not as, you know, impactful on hurting their bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, something that's going to give them the most longevity to their life that they can have. Um, so we should know here pretty soon and, and, you know, the rest will be kind of its own battle, but, um, but we're a strong family, you know, we'll, we'll figure it out as it comes. Wow. So you did mention that, you know, you've mentioned their flexibility and some signs that they might have it and that's Uh why you're getting them tested. What signs did you have when you were a kid? Now that you look back. Now that I look back, um, I was sick all the time. I remember going to the doctor's office when I was in elementary school. It was, I mean, I swear almost every single week. And my mom just kept telling me like, oh, it's just allergies. Oh, it's just allergies today. Because that's what the doctors were saying. Like she can't be sick this much. I mean, my blood work would be off, but it was nothing that was this insane thing. I was always anemic. I always had vitamin deficiency levels. Um, you know, just Things that were off, but nothing that was like, oh, you got cancer. Your blood count is this insane thing. I just was always sick. I caught every single virus um, ever. And then when I would go down, I would go down hard. Um, I would always get pneumonia, bronchitis every single year. Um, Again, I dislocated all the time. I was flexible. My vision, you know, as I had mentioned before, was changing every single month and a half. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I bruised easy. I bled when I would get a cut tremendously. 
Um, it would just be this crazy amount for the tiniest nick. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was always fatigued and brain fog. And a lot of times my brain just wouldn't function the same way. Um, high anxiety, just different different things that all kind of had their own stuff. And, and I was dislocating at the time. But again, because I was able to just to pop it right back in, it wasn't like this concern of, oh, you know, I'm in so much pain. It was like my joints hurt. I ran, I was a very um, high competitive in track. Uh, I stopped doing gymnastics when I was younger just because my body was hurting more. But I, again, we just thought it was being, you know, a kid, I was getting more sore than other people. Um, Mm -hmm. And then when I was running track, my knees were dislocating more. So I had all these these little signs, you know, your eyes, your body, your joints, um, inflammation in the intestines, but not, I never had problems having bowel movements. Um, I had tons of UTIs. Every single three weeks, I would have a UTI starting from when I was like 13. Um, I had tons of ovarian assists. I had an assist on my eye that they had to cut out, assist on my hands, like random little things that you know, you just never think are all part of one picture. You just need to connect the dots. You know, you see a do- you see an eye doctor for this. You see an orthopedic for this. You see a family practitioner if you have a virus. But nobody's communicating with anybody. Yeah. And so when they say what's wrong, and you go to an orthopedic, like, oh, my knees are always swelling. They're purple all the time. I got bruises everywhere down my legs. I think it's because I'm falling. You know, so they only look at that problem. And then you go to the eye doctor your vision's just changing. Maybe, you know, this could be a growth, growth issue or, you know, but no, they're not talking to each other. And I wasn't seeing a geneticist or anything like that because how would I know that they were all related? But looking back now, man, I mean, I was a busted kid from the get go. (laughs) I just was broken in all these areas, but you just, you start feeling like a hypochondriac. I know my mom was looking at me like I was a hypochondriac. Like, man, this kid is complaining about everything all the time. There was always something wrong with her. And, you know, you you hear that. And my mom's this amazing mom, but she just was looking at her kids like, God, you are whining. All, there's always something hurting. Like, there's no way. She is this sick all the time. Mm-hmm. But there's always this problem. Um, and I had a tendency to, like, I would get fevers, but more than anything, I would get cold fevers. Like I, I remember sometimes running like the 96, you know, or it was like 97.1. Like, so she just thought that I was faking it, you know, but it was like my body would do really weird things. Um, so just nobody looked at it, but there were things that I can now have the benefit of going through it myself. I can see them in my kids. Mm -hmm. So, okay, well, I know to connect that dot to this dot, like, you know, I've got one doctor that, or one daughter that has like the gray in her eye and she's incredibly flexible. She falls all the time. Her skin's very thin and fragile. Um, she has massive intestinal issues. Like I can look at it and be like, okay, yeah, you're clumsy. You're dizzy a lot. You know, you're sick all the time. You catch every bug. Your eyes are changing. You know, you also have the gray rim. Your teeth are too close together. Mm-hmm. You know, you have no enamel on there your stomach hurts all the time. Like I can see all those things. Yeah. I mean, I literally had a doctor ask me if she had ever been physically abused or if we hit her because she had like 40 bruises up and down her legs. And I'd be like, ask her where she got them. 
And then she, the doctor looked at her and she goes, where'd you get that? She goes, I really have no idea. Like you just, you just, we bruise. All, you could like yeah. grace the counter and all of a sudden you look like you fell off a building, but you, you like sat on the grass. Like you just had like a tea party out on the grass and somehow <laughs> you got bruises up and down your butt cheeks. Like, you know, just things. So yeah, I sat down too hard and now I have a bruise on my butt. Like, <laughs> Yes. And you really rethink like those grass lawn you know, like little parties that you go to or like listen to the live band. You're like, yeah, I don't know if I can sit that long. You're like, yeah. well, you're sitting. You're like, yeah, you know, you don't get it. And then you stand and then your back hurts and then you sit and then your ass hurts and then you stand. And it's like, <laughs> you just, you can't find the balance. I mean, my family laughs at me because every, like every couch that we have in our house has a heating pad next to it. My bed has a heating pad next to it. Like you just, you rotate like uh-huh. which spot hurts the most. Like I'll go from my stomach to my back to my knees. I have ice packs full in my freezer you know, you have wraps. I got wraps laying by like my shoe bin and my bathroom and like my <laughs> car chair. Like I got slings and wraps like just everywhere. Like just, you know, you prepare for all of it and mm-hmm. it's, you rotate them out. You're like, all right, do I want to look more disabled in my legs today? Or do I want to look like I can't use my wrist? Like, you know, <laughs> how, which, which body part do I need to use the most? Cause I'll do the metal the metal sleeves on my knees today, but I need to be able to use my hands. So I'll do just the cloth ones. Like, yeah. you know, we're like we're little puzzles, you know, and, and I've learned just to, to rock it, but man, some days you, you really just want to look normal, like wear a moo-moo dress over all your, <laughs> your sleeves and wraps. Like, I really, I don't feel like having anybody look at me today. Like I just want to hide in the back and you know, it's just, it just becomes your every day, yeah. you know, as crappy as it is no pun intended I wish my days were more crappy than they were given my stomach but you know (laughs) it's just it unfortunately it just comes with the turf and it's always going to be a battle that we kind of have to fight within ourselves to mentally try to stay more present than EDS is present in our life and that's a that's the hardest thing I think for me Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah well, your story is incredible. I really appreciate yeah. you taking the time to talk to me and talk to everybody. Oh, you know what? EDS is such a rare thing. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've seen and met doctors and they pull up like a rolly chair. They're like, oh my gosh, I've never met somebody who has vascular Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. Can you move your hand like this? I'm like, listen, this is not show and tell. <laughs> like I'm here for you to do a rectal exam. Like you don't need to see my wrists. You don't need to see me pull my neck, but they just, they just, they've never, we're such a rare breed, which is why I think we go by zebras is because, you know, we were kind of this special striped creature that, and that's what I call myself to my family is I'm special. That's how we relate me to, you know, it's better than saying like I'm busted or crippled. (laughs) I like to say, I'm just, I'm special. I get extra wraps to keep me warm and things like that. But, you know, there's just not a lot of knowledge that's out there and, you know, things like this, uh, podcasts or any chance I can get to work with like an organization or a group or somebody who's trying to get the word out is incredible for us. So I'm happy to do this. You know, we, we are a rare breed. And so when that doctor pulls up the chair, I say, okay, sit down. You got 10 questions, pick your top one. <laughs> you know, I'm, I will help you learn. So that way I can get you more interested in the disease. Cause that brings more attention to us, yeah. but then let's get back to, to what we need to do. But you know what? The more people they see, the more prevalent it becomes that this is actually 
out there and needed. It's not just something they randomly saw in a textbook when they were in medical school that we are out there fighting and moving and walking and we need just as much attention drawn to us as somebody with cancer because we're, we're hurting, you know, and we need support and groups and people that can come and, and, you know, form teams together like this podcast is just, it's wonderful. I just love your energy. (laughs) Oh, well, you know, I think whenever you've dealt with poop conversations for nine years, you just become really comfortable with the uncomfortable. (laughs) And so you find as many poop jokes as you can. Like I've already started making t-shirts and designed them for whenever I have the ostomy bag that it'll say sometimes in life poop just doesn't happen. So I decided to bag mine up and then we'll have like a little ostomy bag, you know, so you just love that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I'm going to wear it and I'm going to be as proud as I possibly can. I'm going to be dazzle every single little poop bag. I got to attach that ostomy bag and you know, it's listen, EDS, it sucks. It, it's a terrible, crappy disease. It's painful. It's exhausting. Every day you feel like you have the flu or pneumonia, your body feels like you're, you know, you're 90 years old and you can't walk. I mean, yeah, it's embarrassing and frustrating to walk around with canes. And we already have enough negativity going on in our own heads and in our own bodies that for me to find a joke every once in a while or find a smile anywhere, I'm going to take it. And I'm going to be the first person to make fun of myself for not being able to crap. And if somebody has a question about poop, I'm like, hey, I'm on the poop expert. Come here. I got you. You know, like you, we just have to own it because yeah. we don't have another choice. Mm-mm. You know, yeah, this my, is our life. My friends made me a little ribbon. Uh, once I figured out that it was really dangerous for me not to poop. Yeah. Um, I, you know, changed my diet and that luckily worked for me. Um, oh, good. Yeah. And so like, I'm very picky on my diet. Like every, I'm, every day I'm monitoring, you know, have I, have I pooped yet today? Like what yeah. do I need to eat today differently? Cause I didn't poop yesterday. And my friends actually made me a little ribbon one day when I pooped two days in a row. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yes, She's I need a ribbon it. today. And they made me one. <laughs> uh, success. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. Oh, celebrate man. those wins. You do. Oh, man. Right now. So I, this is a lot of TMI just for the, whoever listens to this, you're getting a <laughs> real dose of some personal information here. But I mean, so with the medication, I either don't have any movement, like I don't even pee without taking my pills or I take it and then it liquefies everything so much that I'm crapping my pants. And so my husband, he'll crack a joke and it's like, yeah, I got to go to the bathroom. He's like, it happened again, didn't it? And I go, Yeah. It did, but at least you're going, you know, but it's like, I either don't have bowel movement for six or seven days without the medication, or then you have the opposite. And so my husband, as jokes, he'll bring like extra underwear and he's like, is it a good day or a bad day? I'm like, seriously, like you find humor in this, but literally I just shit my pants and it's not like a joke from your laughter. It's literally like I crap my pants. You made me laugh so hard. I crap my pants. And it's, you know, you... It's just like a funny, so we have like poop, my daughters have poop emojis for me, like in the bedroom. And then they have like pillows, poop emojis that they carry around. Like you, we just, man, it's becomes just such a humorous thing. And it is, and it's funny and <laughs> it's embarrassing, but you just, I mean, it, it's, it's how it is and you just own it. And, and you know, forward. that's the only way. Yeah. We can make best of the situation that we have. And I work with a group called CC for C 
They raise money and awareness for kids with rare diseases. Mm -hmm. And you know what? I have found just the best joy and the best purpose of the disease is, is knowing that just being able to, they don't have EDS and people don't have to have EDS for us to make a difference in their life. They just need somebody who understands what it's like to struggle or to go from doctor to doctor and be told that it's in your head or that's not possible, or you can't actually be that sick, or we don't know how to help you. Um, they just need to know for one moment, even if they're around you for one moment, that there's somebody out there that understands what it's like to feel that alone, you know, that lost in your own body and, and that almost defeated by yourself. Because we have those moments where we're mm -hmm. searching, we're throwing darts at this empty board and no doctor can figure it out. Nobody else can figure it out. And you're just praying that one of those darts hits that target and that light bulb goes off. And, you know, people just need to know that it's okay. Yeah. It's, it's going to be a process. Find patience in it because you're going to need it. But then, you know, again, those moments that are beautiful, you own them too. And you appreciate them. And you can look at life at such a different height of level. You know, there's more saturations of color. There's more joy in these things. There's also more pain in some of them. But, man, we are able to see things, though, with a little bit more light because we know how precious they are. Yeah. And that's something that a lot of people just are too negative in their own areas that they can't see. And that I'm grateful for, you know. Well, yeah. Thank you so much. I really, I love talking to you. I really appreciate it. Oh, well, you're welcome. Again, I'm, I'm absolutely happy to help and, and share the, my story and as much knowledge as I can. And I appreciate all that you're doing for us as well. Thank you. All right. So thank you everybody for listening. Uh, this was Shannon and this is Katie, your host of staying connected. Stay tuned for more episodes and uh, we'll see you soon. Thank we'll you. See you soon. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.